welcome to another episode of My Climate Diet, the podcast where I'm shedding the pounds of greenhouse gas emissions. I'm Lisa Pettibone, sustainability obsessive who's not climate possessive. I've been in Lower Saxony with my husband's family the past two weeks, and I was a bit afraid that that would mean that this month's challenge would get thrown out the window. My husband is from a small town just outside of Hamen, which is where the Pied Piper story comes from. When you wake up in the morning and you look out the window, you can see the mountain where the Pied Piper took the kids. So uh, kind of creepy, but also very beautiful. And because it's a small town and I've only been there a few times, I had no idea how available fresh produce would be. The closest grocery store is Aneto, which is kind of like a shopper's food warehouse in the U.S. It's a discount grocery store that's not very good at fresh produce. And the only other grocery store within walking distance is about a 20-minute walk. I wasn't aware of any farmer's markets going into the trip, plus the fact that we were going for family reasons, which meant all of my climate activism was kind of a second priority for us. But I'm super happy to report that this past week was a flying success. And it really speaks a little bit to how important it is to have access to a lot of these things. But also it shows that no matter where you are, you can find a way to be climate friendly. But before I talk about my experience this week, I want to get down and dirty on food by counting carbs. I mean, carbon. So I touched on this a little bit last week, and I looked into it more deeply so that I could talk to you more about it in this episode. And that, So I mentioned this a little bit last week. My concern that this month's challenge of looking for local produce was maybe focusing on the wrong aspect of nutrition in terms of climate. So I took a deep dive and I found an article on the impact of food miles. This is a paper by Christopher Weber and H. Scott Matthews in Environmental Science and Technology in 2008. So it's a little bit old. It's focused on the U.S., but it still has some interesting information on scale because that's what I was really interested in looking at is how important are different aspects of our diet to the climate. And what they calculated was the relative climate impacts of food during production versus transportation. They analyzed the food by different food groups. So red meat, other meat, including chicken and eggs and fish, oils and sweets, fruits and vegetables, dairy and cereals, you know, the normal food groups. What they found was that transportation emissions are about the same for each food group between 0.1 and 0.2 metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent per household per year. So basically what they said is no matter what kind of food you're getting, the food miles are equally bad or equally unimportant, depending on how you want to look at it. So they're not saying that food miles don't mean anything, but 0.1 to 0.2 metric tons of CO2 equivalent per year, um, that's not that much. But if you add up the emissions of carbon dioxide by their diet per year, what you'll find is it's about six to eight tons. So this may be one ton total of transportation emissions of all the food groups. It's important, but it's a relatively small piece of the whole. What Weber and Matthews found was much more important were production emissions. And here, what they found is something that has become pretty common knowledge in climate and environmental circles. 
that the production emissions of red meat were significantly higher than all the others, no matter how they analyzed them. So it's a little tricky to analyze the differences between these emissions because you can analyze them based on kilograms of product created. So a kilogram of beef versus a kilogram of broccoli. You can analyze it in terms of how much people eat, uh, household use per year. The way that I found the most useful that makes the most sense to me is carbon dioxide per calorie eaten. That to me makes the most sense if you're going to replace one for the other, you're going to need the same amount of calories of the second, right? So here, red meat emitted twice as much greenhouse gas as the next category, which is dairy. Non-red meat and fruits and vegetables each had about a third of red meat's impact, and cereals and grains were about 15% the impact of red meat. This means you can eat six times the amount of cereal as you would red meat to get your calories for the day. It also means you could eat three times as many vegetables as red meat or twice as much dairy as red meat. In other words, caring about food miles is a big deal. Cutting red meat out of your diet is a much bigger deal. So what this led me to do, I I thought, okay, I don't want to get too complicated in my climate diet because this is supposed to be fun. So I came up with categories. And I thought, how important is each challenge that I give myself? I'm going to rate it in terms of it has a small impact, a medium impact, or a large impact. So from reading this article and looking around at other research on food miles versus diet, I would say that food miles and eating local, that makes a small impact. Going vegetarian, or at least cutting red meat out of your diet, that's a medium impact. Now we're going to talk in a couple weeks about things that make a large impact because we can't leave those out, right? But I think it's important too, to think about actions at every level. So going back to diet though, the best thing you can do is eliminate red meat completely and switch to things like chicken and eggs and dairy, or even better, a blend of fruits and veggies and grains. There's some other really interesting research that only looks at if we cut only beef out of our diet and replaced it with beans, that would get the US 50% of the way to its climate goals. So this gives you a sense of how big of a deal red meat is. Now, I don't know how you are. I used to eat quite a lot of red meat before I started reading this research. Burgers, I kind of ate them because they were there, not because I particularly enjoyed them. So it's been very easy for me to cut red meat out of my diet. If you're someone who that's hugely important to you, then hopefully I'll find something else, another challenge for you that's a little bit more your speed. But my lesson is learned that food miles, they're important, but it's not a make it or break it. And I can say why this is a big deal for me. And that's because a lot of times I go to the grocery store and I see fresh produce that comes from Spain or even Israel. And I think, oh, that's too far away, then I won't get it. And then instead of getting fresh produce, I get packaged food, which is probably higher emissions than the produce from far away. Yes, it's better to buy local, but it's better to buy produce than meat. Okay, so I've said that a lot of different ways. You're sick of hearing it. Let's get to the challenge. So what I challenged myself to do every week for April 
was to buy local seasonal produce at least once a week and prepare it in a way that my family would eat. I talked last week about asparagus being something that is on my radar as being locally produced and available only in about April and May. So I was super excited when I got to Lower Saxony that there was a big sign for an asparagus farm that there's an asparagus farm about 75 miles away from the town where we were. And they put up a stand every Saturday and sold asparagus. Perfect. This was about a two minute walk for me. And there was really no downside. It was amazing. Fresh asparagus. We bought it right from the farmer. She had different sizes and qualities because asparagus, it's when you cook it, white asparagus, it tastes kind of like scallops to me. So it has this very delicate, expensive taste somehow. But anyway, I bought a kilogram, about two pounds of fresh white asparagus. I paired it with German potatoes and I made a hollandaise sauce. And that together gives you a very traditional German dish that also happened to be completely local. So this was great. My total food miles were about 75 miles, far cry from over a thousand, which is average. And from this kilogram of white asparagus and I we bought about a pound or 500 grams of potatoes. We got four meals out of all of this. And my son dove into the potatoes. He had a little bit of asparagus, but the potatoes were just too good to resist. And my husband and I ate all the asparagus he didn't want. So it was a win-win. It was really great. So it was really great. And it was a small impact, as I said, but definitely a positive one. What's giving me hope this week? I offer this podcast on Anchor, which I don't know how many of you know that because I think most of my listeners are through other podcatchers. Totally great. Keep listening. But Anchor is a nice community of podcasts. And I thought I'm going to finally take the time to look at what's available on Anchor in terms of climate and sustainability. And as I was tooling around, I found, well, first, there may be 50 or 100 podcasts on climate and sustainability issues which is cool. On the downside, most of them just have a splash page, maybe an introduction or one podcast episode, which is kind of a shame because they sound really cool and I'd like to hear more. But I did find maybe 10 to 20 have a couple episodes and they're really interesting. I found one really great podcast by some seventh graders called Climate Change Exchange And it's focused on delivering facts on different aspects of climate change. And I found that one really great because I have been so steeped in the facts for so long. I don't like to talk about them anymore. So this is definitely a place I'm going to point people who are interested in learning more and kind of getting up to speed, getting basically the basic information about what is climate change, what is the political discourse around climate change, what is the science of climate change, what is going to happen with climate change in different sectors, et cetera, et cetera. And that podcast, again, it's called Climate Change Exchange. It's um, produced in conjunction with the University of Chicago Lab. And as I said, it's seventh grade students who are so excited to be podcasting. It's really great to listen to them. I also found maybe the most similar to what I'm trying to do is a personal podcast called Fighting Climate Change by a man named Kush. And I really liked his energy 
And so I favorited his podcast immediately. Unfortunately, he had at the time only one episode. It looks like since I favorited him, he's added a couple more, which I am excited to listen to. But I guess he noticed that I favorited him because he sent me a really nice message that I'd like to share with you. Hey, Lisa. I'm so excited to see you here in the podcast. I just woke up and found out about you and I was surprised. I listened to some of your podcasts and I really loved it. You're doing a great job. I just wanted to say that I'm your number one fan and keep doing what you're doing. And have a great day. Bye-bye. Next week, I'm excited to share my first interview with you. For those of you who think spring cleaning is the pits, this one's for you. I'm going to be talking to my dear friend Josh Huffman about deodorant. He's been making his own for several years, and he's going to give me some tips and tricks about how to work on my own recipe. Thanks for listening. For links and more information about what I talked about this week, go to my website, myclimatediet.org. The music in this podcast is by David from Kvetz. I'd love to hear from you too, so feel free to write me an email with your climate question or climate solution to lisa at myclimatediet.org. Rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts, share it with your friends, and consider starting a climate diet of your own. Because if we were all to go on a climate diet, it wouldn't be the end of the world. I don't die.